Hi, and thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Profiles. I'm Brian Callahan, and on the program this week, we have the newly minted CEO of St. John's Sports and Entertainment, Brent Mead. Now, schedules being what they are, we actually spoke a couple of weeks ago, but the conversation was no less far-ranging and informative. So without further ado, let's get right to it. My chat with Brent Mead, the CEO of SJSE, here on Profiles. Thanks so much for uh, agreeing to uh, have this chat. I know, you know, first of all, of course, just recently uh, appointed CEO of St. John Sports and Entertainment just back in the fall. We'll get to that. But, um, you know, many people would probably immediately know from your career with government and various, I think we're up to four, maybe five departments. Gets a little tangly when we start trying to remember all the titles over the years. But um, how did you end up forging a career in the civil service? So I started my career off, I actually started to work with the federal government. I worked in Canada Employment, and I was in Trapassi when the Trapassi fish plant was closing down. I went to work with the federal government down in Canada Employment Services. I remember those days. Yes, I covered that as yeah. a journalist, and Rita Pennell yeah. was on my speed dial. Here you go. Rita Pennell uh, is someone dear that I know quite well from those days for sure, and is still a community leader down there. So we, uh, I was down there for a, a few years, and then I ended up moving on to Clarenville, where I worked in rural development for a number of years. And then I kind of this is where I got into the kind of space I'm in now. I went to Bonavista in 1995 and started working on the Cabot 500 event and the Matthew landfall and the, the royal visit that would have occurred right. in Bonavista in 97. So that's when that led to a bit of a stint then in the kind of that event space. So I did Cabot 500 and then I became the director of Vikings 1000 Years when we celebrated the 1000 years of the Viking arrival at Lansing Meadows. So I had overseen that whole project. And after that, after that was over in 2001, I I moved into government, and I uh, did a number of things and eventually became the Assistant Deputy Minister of Culture and Recreation, and then eventually the Deputy Minister of Tourism, Culture, and Recreation. And that led to me, as many listeners would know, deputy ministers move around from time to time. And I had a 10-year career then as a deputy minister in five different departments. <laughs> uh, and so that was kind of it. And that, that was uh, 22 years in total in, uh, in the public service. So you've uh, – how many premiers – so you would have been under, what, three, four premiers in, uh, in, since That's then? That's right. Yeah, I would, I would have been under three or four premiers, yeah. And my – the line I always used, Brian, was our <laughs> role was to give fearless advice – and when they made a decision, we then loyally implemented it. <laughs> and uh, that's that's really the, you know the call of a public servant. But I enjoyed those years. They were uh, you know I I feel that there was a lot I accomplished in those years uh, as a senior public servant and uh, worked with some great elected officials who I have immense respect for. Anybody puts their name on a ballot, I have immense respect for. It's a tough gig, especially this day and age with social media and all of that. It's uh, I have a lot of respect for people who do that. I really do. And uh, it's a joy working in the public in the public sector and uh, and. And then, of course, I left then in 2016 and spent seven years in the private sector before arriving here then last fall in October. Right. And I just want to go back for a minute. You mentioned the Vikings, um, the settlement. Was, were you there for the Gaia arrival? No, I wasn't there for the Gaia. So in 2000, it would have been the Gaia would have arrived prior to that. Right. I can't remember what year the Gaia was, but the Gaia was years before that, uh, maybe 96. Uh, I think so, because I was there yeah, for that. Yeah, and yeah no. We, yeah. we all got stuck up there with Prince Andrew. 
Oh, there you go. No, in 2000, it would have been uh, the ship that would have sailed to recreate a voyage was a ship called the Islandinger. It came from right. Iceland. Right. Uh, but there was also at that time, you may recall, a flotilla of boats mm-hmm. from various parts of Scandinavia. The Viking ships of various replicas uh, and sizes uh, came and joined the Islandingers that arrived in Lansomel. It was quite an event. Of course, any Islandinger went around the province, mm-hmm. similar to what the Matthew did in 97, and we had a series of festivals in, in various communities and uh, had a great time. So that was uh, that was yeah that was some of the things that we did in 2000. It was again the, you know those years were 97 and in 2000 and you know we did in 99 of course Swari 19 uh, Swari 99 50th anniversary of Confederation. Those special event years I know you know uh, some people have various views on on the, the public expenditure at the time and all of that but I think without uh, I think it's without a doubt those years led to a a seminal moment in the movement of the level of awareness of our province. Mm in a number of markets and I think you know the fact that our tourism industry has been able to grow since then I, I do b- truly believe that those events played a role uh, particularly in raising the brand and awareness of Newfoundland Labrador yeah if, uh, all of this resume is certainly st- lining up well with the current position you hold but I, I I just wanted to go one more time to Viking the only reason it's it's you know it's kind of close to my heart is uh, my father as a journalist interviewed the Inksteads when they were up there oh, in the early 60s yes. When they had discovered yeah. and brought them to the sites and said, "Look, we have yeah. to investigate these so-called lumps in the ground," you know, and it led to that. Yeah. So, yeah, and the Ingstads were a very interesting couple. Oh, I had wow. the pleasure of, uh, I had the pleasure of meeting them, and they they were very interesting in terms of, you know, they they had they had such love for Lansing Meadows and Newfoundland Labrador, and and you know such belief in that story. And of course, as we know, it became a UNESCO World Heritage Site. So the, you know, the story stands on its own now. Is is but an incredible find and incredible people. So this won't be necessarily all chronological, our chat today, but uh, just going back. So where, where do you call home? Where, where were you raised and born? I'm originally from Stephenville, and uh, so I was raised, born and raised in Stephenville. My mom and dad were both business people. My mom owned a, a boutique at one point. My dad owned a, a family footwear clothing store, and eventually we turned it into a home harbor store. He took over a home harbor store from his brother. So I grew up in family business. So at the age of 12, I was behind a cash register and working in the family business. Uh, that would have been around, not to date you, but that would have been circa... Well, that would have been like, uh, so I would have been, yeah. So I graduated high school in 85. So that was certainly in my early 80s. And then, and mom and dad worked those businesses yeah. well into the 90s. And uh, I actually went to Acadia Universities where I did my undergrad. Nice. Uh, a lot of people on the West Coast go to St. Evex and Acadia. It's kind of interesting. Uh, and I went to Acadia, followed my sister there, uh, and went there. And then after Acadia, I went back to Stephenville and actually went to work with Canon Employment. And that's when the manager of Canon Employment one day in Stephenville walked down and said, Brent, there's a job in Trapassi that I think would be interesting for wow. you to apply for. And that's how I ended up in Trapassi. So that's a, that's a quick take on that story. What do you think of those moments? You know, um, like we all, some people believe deeply in fate. Take that wrong turn, this right turn. You know, uh, what if he doesn't come up to you that day and offer you that Trapassi idea? It's a great, great, you know, great thing, Brian. Uh, my, my wife always says to me, uh, everything happens for a reason, Brent. Yep. Uh, and, you know, there's opportunities that will come up from time to time and say, you know, maybe I should go for that, and then you don't, and then you probably go mm-hmm. through this regret. Maybe I could have went for that or should have went for that. And, you know, I know that in, you know, the 20 years I've been married to my wife, Jerry, she always says, Brent, things happen for a reason. And I do believe in that. I yep. do truly do believe in that. And uh, you're right. That day when Brian Park walked down the hallway and said that to me, uh, that was like Terpassi. I, I say to people, you know, it's interesting. I went there. I was a young man in my 20s, in early 20s. 
I went there, and my experience there was one of the most profound experiences I've had in my life. I tell people professionally and personally, I was only there three years, but I matured at least 10 to 15 years. It was just an incredible experience. The community was so warm and embracing. Not, you know, at first it was like, okay, who's this guy coming yeah. in, running, you know, running the can employment? Can imagine, out. yeah. At a time of, you know, significant trauma in the community, knowing the fish plant was closing. Yep. But the people down there hold a special place in my heart, um, you know, and they, uh, they, they embraced me warmly. And, you know, I think we did some good stuff down there. There's lots of people who were able to pursue post-secondary and uh, to build new careers. And, and, uh, and yes, many of them had to move away, unfortunately. But as we know, that's, that's kind of the reality of our outport communities. But, you know, it, it, it was, it's nice to be able to do that work where you're working with the public and you can, you can see the, the effect you're having on individuals and then families in doing that good work. So, uh, yeah, that was, uh, I do, I do believe in it. I do believe that things happen for a reason. Yeah. That's the ultimate seeing those, that product, that product of it, uh, affecting people right there on the ground individually. Yeah. Uh, do you, do you see a parallel between Stephenville and Trapassi? Is that what it was or was it the dichotomy, the differences? Oh, it was totally different. I mean, Stephenville is, you know, an American-based town. Grew up, you know, <laughs> yeah. grew up in Stephenville listening to rock bands, you know, Led Zeppelin and and all that kind of stuff. You listen, you grew up in Stephenville. It was a rock music town. And, you know, if you look at the music tradition or cultural traditional there, very rock-oriented. I moved to Trapassi. I never knew an Irish song until Trapassi. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you're so, up to shore. Right. When you're up to shore, it's oh like, now, now. And uh, it was actually in Trapassi. I started learning to play, play the guitar a bit and all of that. So it was kind of uh, interesting. I grew up in Stephenville where that music is a, a big yeah. part of the culture, but again, more towards that American influence of right. rock and stuff. That go to Trapassi and it was, uh, you know, the the Irish uh, hotbed of everything and uh, and just the traditions there and it was yeah no so no I would suggest to you quite different um, but you know Newfoundlanders and Labradorians are Newfoundlanders and Labradorians wherever they live in this great place so there was always that warmth but uh, certainly uh, no lots of differences too in, in from what I grew up with it's funny you should say that because I have a parallel there I mean I I'm a townie but um, yeah. I ended up somehow getting recruited by a bunch of guys in a band from Aquafort and uh, and Cape Royal. But Stephenville, you just going back to that, yeah, uh, when you talk about the American base and that sort of thing. And I have a connection to that. I mean, this isn't about me, but I was also with Stephenville Theatre Festival uh, out there back oh, yeah. in the year 2000. And I, I, you're absolutely right. The, the rock music scene, it's a different vibe altogether. They have their own musicians and their own style and their own rock community. Rizzulis yeah. and these places That's right. uh, were just hotbeds at the time. So, yeah, I can completely right. relate to that as well. Yeah, yeah. And the Stephenville Festival has been a great part of our culture, of course, in Stephenville has for many years. And, you know, it's been what I find about Stephenville, with the Stephenville Festival in particular, it's brought a great understanding, I think, of diversity and inclusion. I mean, you know, when you, when you have a community that gets, you know, every year, like there's a troop of 25, 30 artists. And, 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 and at, that, at that time, when I grew up, many of them came from other parts of Canada yeah. uh, for the summer. Uh, you've seen things differently. You were exposed to things differently. And, uh, and I think that's a, you know, I think that may make Steve Miller a pretty interesting town, actually. Yeah, <laughs> never more so than today, arguably, with what's what's what what we believe is on the horizon, that's right. uh, with Mr. Risley and company, and others. Um, yeah, sure. Okay, so we're going to take a short break here on the uh, on the program. I'm Profile, I'm speaking with Brent Mead, the new CEO of St. John Sports and Entertainment. But so much more to come still, and we'll be right back. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. 
And welcome back to the program uh, on Profiles Today. We're speaking with Brent Mead, the CEO of St. John Sports and Entertainment. And uh, Brent, just before the break, we were talking about, uh, you know, I guess the past mostly and uh, and the connections with Stephenville and, of course, life-changing to Trapassi and other career moves. But um, could anything have prepared you? We're talking a bit about fate and all that sort of thing. Uh, how did you come upon, uh, first of all, having an interest in the position you currently hold and actually uh, obtaining it? So I wasn't sure what was happening down here in terms of who, the leadership down here, you know, to be quite honest with you. I thought maybe the city would appoint someone or to be some internal process in the city. So when the position got posted, you know, given like what I've already shared with you, my background in event management, doing CAB at 500 and sure. Vikings, and then working in tourism sector, I kind of looked at it and went, Wow, that's that's a space I loved in. I, that's a space I loved working in. It's a space I felt I thrived in. It's a space that you know it very much speaks to my strengths. I mean, I, like I'm a values-based leader that that I think I'm a relation-based leader. So I I do truly believe in you know the the things that make us you know make things work and make things tick is when you build strong relationships and partnerships. And so I kind of looked at it and went that that's it. This is a great opportunity for me uh, to move back into kind of the public space again uh, and the public service space in a way, but also to bring that seven years of the private sector experience that I just incurred. So I was in the public sector for 22 years, you know, much of it in the event space and in tour space, then moved into the private sector, which was a whole new learning with mm-hmm. CFR Capital and an incredible experience. And then I was like, how do I, I can take all of those tools and all that experience and bring it to a place where I think it could really be used, where I think I could be a good fit for them and, you know, and, um, they would be a good fit for me. Uh, and so, I, you know, it's, it's a typical process, uh, Brian. You know, they, they had a recruitment firm hired, Covenor, and they go through the process. You put your name in. It's sometimes a lengthy process. I mean, I think I expressed my interest in June and uh, probably got in front of a hiring committee in August and then a second time in September. And then, you know, a job offer came, and I started in October. Did you expect it to take that long? Well, I was kind of forewarned. I mean, when you start to engage with uh, recruitment firms, they will tell you these processes can tend to take two to three months, and that is that is the norm. So I was prepared for that, and uh, and yes, it is. It's kind of probably at a slower pace than I would have liked, but hey, I understand that they have to have due process. So uh, strange question, but were you nervous? People get nervous. Always nervous. Yeah, yeah, you're always nervous. I mean, you're (laughs) always nervous about putting yourself out there. Anybody who says they don't, well, I don't know. I mean, uh, I mean, I was confident. I felt that my resume could speak for itself. You know, I, I. I did feel that I was a good fit. I felt I had a good background, a good balanced background of private and public. And again, that event management experience, my experience in working in not only the cultural and arts sector, but also in the sports sector, uh, which are all the things that you need to do down here. Uh, I thought it was, you know, I thought I had kind of a combination that certainly would put me in good standing there. There yeah. and I, you know, to be honest with you, I thought if I can get in front of an interview committee, then you know, I can, uh, I can certainly try to. Uh, uh, to have a conversation with them about why I, what, what I bring, what my vision is, uh, the energy I bring, and um, how we can make this work. So. And so, speaking of the next phase of growth and development, let's talk, let's get into the nitty-gritty. I mean, uh, you know, there's a lot of interest in this organization for various reasons, not the least of which is some sordid history. I'm not going to dwell on that today. Um, we all know, uh, I think anybody who knows anything about St. John Sports Entertainment knows the challenges that exist, and, uh, you know, none of this is secret. So um, what was the first, you know, I mean, when they sat you down and you, sure, you ticked all the boxes, but then you had to show your vision for St. John Sports Entertainment and where you want to take it dramatically. What did you tell them? 
I told them that, you know, at the end of the day, these are two really important facilities in our community. I think the St. John's Convention Center and the Mary Brown Center are really important public assets. I think they're really important to the economic growth of our community and to creating a social impact in our community. And really, what do we do here, Brian? We, we create experiences, right? We create memorable experiences. That's what it's about. And so how do we do that? We do it through partnership. We do it by being creative. We do it by thinking about the art of the possible. What can we do here? Um, you know, engaging with the community, engaging with our corporate community and business partners. That's how we do it. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's pretty simple what we have to do. We have to create more of those memories and experiences. So we have to have more events and activities. Uh, and, you know, I think in, in both buildings, in both the Convention Center and Mary Brown Center, you know, activities and events that reflect our community as well. And so you'll see you'll see that in a lot of places, particularly now as we, we come out of the pandemic and still post-pandemic, and, you know, nobody's really back to pre-pandemic levels in either of these kind of sectors, either whether that's the sport and, you know, culture sector in terms of concerts and things like that, or in the media and conventions side of things. Everybody is still trying to catch up and get back to those, you know, pre-COVID levels. 2019 levels, but we, we, we had to do it where we are working with the community and we are doing things differently. There's no doubt about that. we got to do things differently. And so that, for me, was the vision I shared. I've, I shared the vision of how, you know, we had to do that through thinking about the experience of our customer, the experience of the fan. And, you know, this day and age is really interesting. If you do research on what when people go to events now, it's not just about the event they're going to, right? It's not they just don't go to a hockey game to see the game on the ice. They just don't go to a basketball to see the basketball game. They just don't go to a conference to be in the conference. They go actually. There's a whole other bunch of experiences that they that they want to feel and be part of when they go to these events. In the case of like concerts or hockey games or basketball games, it's to hang out with friends. It could be to do other things, you know. Um, that those kind of social aspects that mm-hmm. that come with partaking in these events. And research is telling us that, that, that the, the customer and the fan is actually looking for more of that. And that's why you would have seen, for example, what Rogers is doing in Toronto. Toronto, in Rogers Centre in Toronto, they took out a whole section of seats in the outfield. Right. And they reduced their capacity, but they re- what they put back in was a fan zone. Mm-hmm. A fan zone where it's an accessible ticket, as I believe someone told me, it's 20 bucks to get yep, in there. That's right. So it's an accessible ticket. You go in there. You can buy your beer. You can mingle with your friends. And if you see the TV coverage, you'll actually see <laughs> people are mingling. Some of them aren't even watching the ball game. Yep. Some are. Some are. They might yep. be checking in the ball game from time to time. It's, it's a, a whole social. Yeah. Right? yeah. It is right. And with that's the best really view the in the house. Exactly. And that's really, at the end of the day, what we have to do. We have to think about ways that we create our spaces here, how we reimagine our spaces in these buildings, how we create those experiences, the use of technology in that, how we engage with people pre, during, and post events with the use of technology. All of that is part of the experience. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, it's about making sure that people have positive experience, memorable ones, they have fun, uh, and they say, you know what, that is, you know, they, they can walk away from saying, that's what these facilities are about, creating these memories. Like We wouldn't have had a briar without the Mary Brown Center. We wouldn't have major conventions coming here without the convention center. So these are, I truly believe, really important uh, buildings uh, and experience builders for uh, the people of this province. Yeah, and you mentioned, you know, these things that people do want to see, but it all costs money, and we know the recent budget, uh, the uh, subsidy is now at $7 million annually. 
And I mean, it seems that I think the uh, mayor told me at the time that the convention center is doing having a better recovery compared to Mary Brown Center. Mm-hmm. Um, how much does that dollar figure? Seven million dollars. You know, it, it struck a lot of people as um, as pretty high. So the operating grant is, yeah, there's a lot of discussion about that. And the operating grant has gone up, admittedly. And the operating grant has gone up because of really two things. One is operating costs have gone up. But really the main reason has gone up is the, the lower level of activity. Mm. During the pandemic and coming out of the pandemic, you know, the Mayor Brown Center in particular, uh, his worship is right. The Mayor Brown Center has not rebounded. And many va- venues are struggling to rebound mm-hmm. uh, to pre-pandemic levels. Um, convention Center is, at, is, you know, in the convention trade overall this year is expected to be about 70% of pre-pandemic levels. It's not expected to get back to pre-pandemic levels until at least 2026. Yeah. That said, we're, we have over 80 events scheduled at the convention center this year. We've had, you know, our best years were just over 100. So we're getting close. So convention is doing well. But Mary Brown Center at the end of the day, Brian, we need more events and activities. That's it. It's not a it's not a complicated business model. It's not the story is not complex. We need more events. And that's why when I came here, you know, rebuilding the relationship with promoters, working with community partners on bringing more events into the building. That's what I've been focused on. And obviously working with our two tenants, our big tenants, the Rogues and the Growlers. That's that's important, too. One and and but the one thing, uh, Brent, I think we all agree that's completely out of yours or anyone hands is geography so if you were to speak to promoters they would say to you not speak for promoters but i will tell you what they've told me and what they've told me is you're right we're you know we're in the north atlantic we're rocking the north atlantic to bring a show here an artist loses one sometimes two days depending on you know how they're coming in and out so you just think about that an artist is giving up a day possibly two days um, that's a big challenge, and, and sometimes getting here can be a challenge with the weather and whatnot. But this is what they also tell us. They also tell us that artists love the audiences here, mm-hmm. and promoters love the building. They love the venue. They love the audiences. So what we've got to do is figure out a way of working creatively with those promoters to make a business model that works for everybody, works for the building, works for the artist, works for the promoters. That would be your three main players in this conversation, yeah. right? That's the, I, that's, the, yeah, that's the dream. <laughs> it is. And we're already having these conversations, and I can tell you that it's already leading to a more a healthier pipeline of shows. But the other thing is other types of events we can do, um, like Grand Slam and Curling. I mean, that's going to be massive, right? I mean, we've got 3,700 full event passes sold for that. Oh my. You can just map from Tuesday to a Sunday, 3,700 people are going to be in this building every day, every night. Yeah. Um, and, that's, and that's what it is right now. I mean, we expect that this, that'll, uh, you know, that'll move even higher in the, uh, in the coming weeks and months. So, you know, you get over 4,000 people, 5,000 people a day, uh, you know, going to the Mary Brown Center, enjoying curling, the best in the world, and then spilling out to the restaurants and the bars and all of those other things, the hotels. That's that's what this is all about. So um, Yeah, not just at night either. At the morning sessions, afternoon sessions. And, that's right, uh, yeah. And that's really at the end of the day. I mean, I think this is where, you know, I, I do think that my business background helps in that conversation of, you know, finding, you know, the art of the possible and the art of the deal in terms of working with people on that stuff. And that's what we got to do. I mean, that's the reality of the world we're in. So whether that's working with promoters, trying to, you know, uh, entice events to come here, um, cr- work with partners in the community to create events. I mean, I've shared this vision with others. You know, we are in the middle of a downtown core that has a number of assets. You know, I just look around. I, we've got the JAG Hotel expand. Mm-hmm. 
with a new theater space and more rooms. We got the Hilton. We got the Delta. Delta's attached to us. We've got, you know, what the Majestic Theater's doing over there. We got George Street. All of that. You could, I mean, on a map, you could just draw a little, very little yeah. circle. Just think about that district. And the excitement of creating, either creating events or encouraging events to be part of that kind of hub, that kind of entertainment hub. I think it's pretty, pretty exciting and pretty cool of what we can uh, realize here. Brent Mead, the CEO of St. John Sports and Entertainment. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate the time. Enjoyed the chat. Take care. Thank you, Brian. And my thanks again to Brent Mead, the CEO of St. John Sports and Entertainment, here on Profiles. Thanks for listening.